My goodness, did you have a good Christmas New Year? I hope so. Good. What was the uh, what was the favourite film that you saw on the telly? What was the best film you saw? Shout it out. What was the best film you saw? What? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Was that a film? Wonderful. The Nativity. Great. Somebody saw the Nativity. What else? Anybody see Elf? I saw Elf. That made me laugh. I love that movie. And uh, Pirates of the Caribbean has been on a lot over Christmas. I don't know whether you noticed. Isn't it typical? This is the year that I got the DVD set. I got the DVD set of Pirates of the Caribbean. It's on the telly all the time. Isn't that just the way? Anybody get some socks from Auntie? One or two? (laughs) I say Andrew got some socks from Auntie. Are you wearing them? No, fine, great. Well, anyway, moving on. I tell you, I, I, I was just saying to Fliss this morning as we were having breakfast, I've really enjoyed this Christmas season. And, uh, and it's nice because uh, we don't go away at Christmas. We, we kind of hang around. And very often, of course, when, when one has a, a bit of holiday time, you want to go and visit relatives or, you, you know, if you can afford it, go away on a holiday to the sun somewhere. But Christmas is kind of nice because in our family, we try and stick around at home and uh, people come to us and... Uh, and I enjoyed that, just being at home and appreciating home. It's, there's something about being at home. And I want to say to every single one of you here, not least our visitors, and this may seem a little weird, but I've seen God do wonderful things through these two words. I want to say to you this morning, wherever you are, whoever you are, whether you're listening on the podcast, I want to say this, welcome home. Welcome home. It's a wonderful way to start the year, knowing that you are, have been welcomed into the household of God. My, I feel, I feel the presence of God even now on that. Whatever your story, whatever you've been through, whatever you're struggling with at the moment, sickness, fear of redundancy, Father says to you, welcome home. It's a good way to start the year. Let me just pray and then I'm getting into, into the word this morning. Father, I just want to say thank you to you for your presence and for that welcome. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you died upon that cross, you took upon yourself our sin, that thing, that, that very thing that stood between us and God and that assurance of a welcome home. You, you paid the price. You picked up the bill. You settled the tab. Thank you for that, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are at work in your worldwide church today. You're making it real. You're breathing on your word. You're helping us to come alive in Christ. And we thank you for all of that. And Father, if I might be so bold in this moment, it may seem a little random to some, but if I may be so bold at the moment, as we've been thinking over these last few weeks about Israel and Bethlehem and the events there, Lord, we pray for peace in the Middle East. Lord, our hearts and our cries go out to you for the, for the people of Gaza, Lord God, for the untold misery and suffering there. And Lord, you said that your people should be a blessing. It is hard to see how your people, Israel, are being a blessing at the moment. Lord, these things are too much for us to understand, but we can call out to you because you understand all things. 
And we ask for peace in Gaza, peace in Israel. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, again, my name is Chris Lane. I'm the lead pastor here. The, the first sermon of the year falls to me, and I look forward to it. I plan for it. I, I think and pray about it. I, I spend a lot of time over my holiday just trying to seek God's face and try and get his sense of, you know, what, where we are and what we're doing. And, and, of course, part of, you know, working out where we are is really assessing where we've come from. So, naturally, I've been looking over this past year and reflecting upon that and and, of course, I suppose if there was one word, there could be several words, but one word that might sum up this last year, it's been people. We have been besieged with people. Everything we've done has, has involved tons of people. And it's part of God's blessing, you know. It's, it's not something to resist and, and mutter and, and grumble about. Oh, it's not like it used to be. Oh, I can't sit in my favorite seat. Or it takes me half an hour to get my coffee. You know, please, please don't go down that route. You know, this is what God the Father intended. He is a family man. He wants a big family. And so it's up to us, his kids, to make room for every new, every little one that comes through the door and make them feel at home and welcome. So continue to, to be hospitable as you have been doing. Continue to reach out to a stranger. And if you don't recognize someone, you know, say, hi, how are you? Who are you? I know it's difficult for those of you who have a more introvert disposition it's easier for those of us who have an extrovert disposition. But can I encourage even those of you with that introvert disposition, you are made to feel welcome. Please help us make others feel welcome too. So this year has been full of people. It's been full of projects as well. As many of you know, last year when I was walking along the city walls at the top of uh, Verulam Park, there's a sort of a, the remains of the city walls, and I was walking along there. I often go up there to pray and just think about what God's direction, and I said to the Lord, I said, what do, so, so Father, you know, what do you want for this new year? And, and he said to me what I really didn't want to hear. I didn't want to hear it. Uh, you know, as clear as I know how, and as clear as I recognize the Lord's voice, he said to me, put the seating in on the balcony, you're going to need it. And I really, really didn't want to do that. We were exhausted. 2006 was a tough year. We had, we've, we've had building development pretty well every year since we've been in this place, it seems to me. But we'd raised an awful lot of money and put in this, this uh, lovely you know, gallery through there in the atrium. And we put in the, the physical structure of this thing, but we hadn't put the, the tiered seating up there, which you folk are enjoying this morning. But at the beginning of the year, I felt the Lord say to me, you know, put in that tiered seating, you're going to need it. And I just didn't want, uh, there was a check in my spirit, you know, because I just didn't want to raise another dollar, another pound. It was just tough. And I, my assessment was that, that people were, were weary of, fa- of fundraising. And, you know, we, we make a big deal of it, but we don't make a big deal of it. We don't, when we're fundraising, we don't sort of run bring and buy sales and jumbly sales and auctions. We just say, look, this is what we need, you know. Give as you feel prompted and, and led. So it's not a heavy-duty thing, but it was very much on the, the map, as it were. And so I came to the directors and I, at our first directors' meeting of the year, and I said, listen, I, I sense this is what God's saying to us. I can't say I'm terribly excited about it, but, you know, what are we going to do? Be disobedient now after all these years of trying to be obedient? And, and they agreed with my assessment that 
that somehow or other, you know, we needed to present this in such a way that it, it felt less painful. We were going to need, we reckoned, about 75,000 pounds. I mean, a drop in the ocean when one thinks about what we have raised, but it was almost like one, I assessed that it was one straw too much, you know, and the camel's back would break. But actually, you know, so we waited all out and we thought about it and we, we thought, well, how can we present this? And, and we did the best we can. Well, just before Christmas, um, well, as you know, we, we, we obviously got it done and it was done during the summer and what have you. But uh, Jill, our business manager, who was preparing our budgets for, for this coming year, she said, I've done uh, the figures on the, the new balcony seating. I have the final figures. And I was in that kind of state because I knew we'd had some problems which we'd had to deal with. I was in that kind of state where I want to go, na, 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 na. You know? Anybody ever been like that when you get your credit card bill or something like that? You want to go, na, 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 na. Anybody done that? Two of us. <laughs> You're not being truthful. You know, when, when your wife sucks her teeth looking at the budget and says, my goodness, what was, and you don't want to hear it, you know, that kind of thing. And so Jill said to me, she said, I've got the figures, there's good news and bad news. And I thought, oh, I know what's coming. And she said, well, the bad news is that the final figure after those technical difficulties for putting up this balcony was 84,000. I thought, man, you know, percentage-wise, that's a huge overspend on a 75,000-pound budget. She says, the good news is all the money came in. I said, what? All the money came in. So we had 84,000. She said, yeah, we had 84,000. I said, great, fine. (laughs) So, you know, God is so good. I mean, he told us to do something and we sought to be obedient and the Lord always funds what he initiates. That's been my experience. So, It's paid for. Let's give the Lord a clap. The other project, of course, that we saw completion of was uh, our wonderful Govindapuram project. Now, this, for some of you, you know all about it. For others, you're not familiar. But when we started the, what we call the phase two development of this place, the Lord very clearly said to us that we should honor the poor and take care of the poor, even before ourselves. And, and we raised uh, in excess of 40,000 pounds to build a, a life center, what we're calling a life center, in the jungle of Kerala at a place called Govindapuram. And in February, uh, a small team of us had the privilege of going out there to, to open that. And it was a tremendous event. And I've You know, I I think when I look back on this year, there are many highlights. You know, one of the highlights for me was that Christmas Eve carol service that was so scarily dangerous. It was so full. You know, I I kept thinking health and safety, health and safety. You know, I thought, oh, my goodness. But then, you know, health and safety, health and safety. I mean, if Noah was building the ark now, we'd be arrested for trying to export endangered species, you know. So (laughs) health and safety, you know. I think we will do it a little different this, this year. Can you say this year? I mean, maybe have one or two extra additional services there. But, but, you know, there were a number of highlights. And for me, one of the highlights was being in this little church. Uh, it wasn't even the, the big place we'd built, but there was a little chapel next to it. 
But on Sunday morning, we gathered with the Christian worshipers. And there couldn't have been more than 30 of us rammed into this little white painted church with a banana leaf roof. And we sang God's praises and we preached the word. We prayed for one another and God showed up just like he shows up here. And it was, there were two or three moments during that where it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I thought, man, I've got to have the best job in the world. This has got to be the coolest thing I've done, you know. This has got to be the greatest privilege, worshipping with these Indian Christians with, with, with such passion and devotion. They weren't particularly exuberant, you know. They're quite kind of laid back like us, but there was just that intensity there. And that was very special. So this last year, as I reflected upon it, it was full of people, yes, projects, and, and yes, we went to open these wonderful life centers. And in fact, I've shown it twice this year, and I'm going to show it one last time. Uh, I just want to run through the photo montage of that, that trip to... India in February, so thank you, Matt. We, as you know, we support two, uh, lots of orphan, orphanages and ministries. One is House of Hope near Chennai, and the other is what we've just seen there, basically, the Bethesda Mission. If you'd like to take one of these little sticky things to put on your fridge, you're welcome to. Uh, Samuel sent me some. One of the staggering figures on here, which, which I just looked twice at, was that Apparently, it says here, it says, thank you very much for your faithful prayers and support all through this year, 2008, which has enabled us to come thus far. You clothed 200 people, supported 18 pastors, gave 180,000 meals. That is staggering. I, I actually did some sums. I thought, that can't be right. Three meals a day, yes, 180,000, extraordinary. And that's before we even start looking at Chennai. So with God's help... Not only have we provided a home of our own here, but we've done something elsewhere. Just a local church, being the local church, trying to live like a local church should live. And I, I honor God. Let's just praise God. Well, so much for a review. One of the things that somebody said to us years ago, which was poetic and very nice, was that we would, they felt, become as a stream in the desert. And... And I think possibly last year, perhaps more than any previous year, we've begun to see that, that, us growing up. We're still growing up. We're still like a teenage church, but we're growing up into that. And, and, and I'm hoping and praying that this year will be a year when we see more of that. So I thought, I was thinking, you know, how do I teach into that? How can we best prepare ourselves for, for being that, a, a stream, a place of resource, of comfort, of welcome home in 2009, which, by all accounts, is going to be a challenging year. And I found myself drawn to a, a, a story in the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to have it come up on the screen, but, um, you know, the, the text. But if you've got a Bible, you like, might like to turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. If you haven't got a Bible and would like one, we'd love to give you one. Just ask Richard at the welcome desk this morning. And he will uh, find one for you. But let's just read through this story. It's a story about Moses, one of the great leaders of early Israel, people of Israel, God's own people. And he was responsible for bringing them, leading them out of slavery. They were a slave nation. They helped build some of the py pyramids. They were the, the, they were the labor force. 
But actually, they weren't just vanquished foes. They were a nation, and God had pity on them, rescued them, and you can read about that in the book of Exodus, that that narrative. And we come to this point in time where they've actually just had this, well, one has to say miraculous escape from Egypt being pursued by the Egyptians. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're safe on the other side. No fear of any Egyptian army sweeping down upon them. And within three days, they're in trouble. And this is the story. Verse 22. Thank you, Matt. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink it because its water was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah, meaning bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. And he said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water." Two or three things I want to fairly briefly bring out of this. The first thing, next screen please, Matt, thank you. Um, The first thing, they've escaped the Israelites and they're in the desert. They're going to need water and the Lord, it seems, leads them to this place where there's this bitter water. And they start to complain, they can't drink it. Fliss and I used to live in, in Harrogate and there was the pump room there. Anybody tasted the water in Harrogate's pump room? One or two. It's disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Uh, And in fact, there are a number of places. The Victorians were very keen on these health cures. And uh, generally speaking, they taste disgusting. But this story is interesting because what happens here is they complain complain about Moses for bringing them to this place where they're in peril of dying. But actually what happens is that God gives him a solution whereby they still have to drink this bitter water. Now, I I found myself pausing and thinking about that for a moment because there are other incidents in the Scripture where where God brings brings them into a place where there's fresh water, you know, lovely water, but but they have to drink this bitter water. And I, I I couldn't get past this. I thought, what is this thing about? What's that about? And what is it that the God is trying to show me in the middle of this, that even though the Lord sweetened it a bit for them, they still had to drink this bit of water. So I did a little bit of research, and apparently there is, incidentally, a, a herb that is fairly commonly found out there called barberry. And, and if the water's a bit brackish, what the you know, indigenous peoples use is they collect a bit of barberry and they throw it in this brackish water, and then it makes it palatable. It, palatable. it may not be the best glass of you know, Perrier that they've ever had, but it does make it palatable. So there is some sort of, you know, if you like, scientific folklore, if you like, not science, that, that, that provides some evidence that that is possible. But I still found myself, I thought, oh, well, okay, so that's it. That's an interesting little detail. People like those kind of things. But I found myself still stuck on this idea that they had to drink the water. And then I, I started looking into that, and I, I, re- I, I discovered a number of things that actually it may be foul-tasting, but actually there, was, there, were, there were essential minerals in this water, particularly things like magnesium. And magnesium is one of those interesting um, 
things that occur naturally, and, and, and it's one of those elements whereby we need a little. If we don't have a little, all things, all sorts of things start to break down in our body. Our immune systems go to pot. Actually, our ability to reproduce and have children can go to pot. It's an extraordinary wonder mineral. And some scholars believe that actually these bitter waters of marrow certainly had elements of magnesium in them. It's also one of those things, of course, that if you have too much, it's toxic, it can kill you. But I, I was thinking about this, I think, okay, look, I'm not sure whether I really get this. So, okay, they had to drink this brackish water. And then I think I got it, and you make up your own mind. Of course, these people were a slave people. You know, they hadn't been fed well. They were a slave people. They weren't in, 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 in the greatest of health. Actually, they'd come out wearing fine clothes and carrying the gold and silver of Egypt with them. But physically, they were run down. They'd, been, they'd had the living daylights beaten out of them and worked out of them. And if that happens over a prolonged time, it really does undermine the Constitution. My own father was a Japanese prisoner of war camp, in a, in a Japanese prisoner of war camp for four years. And he died in his mid-50s, as did many other men who survived the prisoner of war camps in Japan and, and the, the, the sort of Far East. They often, if they survived that, died in their 50s. Why? Because of years of vitamin and mineral deficiency. It was a very common uh, scenario. So these people are run down, and the Lord, if you like, gives them a tonic. Now, you can make that, of that what you wish. But instead of finding them to an, leading them to another place where there was fresh water, they had to take their tonic. And I want to make a simple point here for you to take away with you. Whatever the Lord sets before you, drink it. It'll do you good. Now, we all love the good times. We all love the sort of, you know, the good times we've been to, through. Maybe you haven't had a good time, but we've been told we've never ha- we never had it so good. And now we're facing tough times. You know, I, I can be a great Christian when things are going well, when the sun's shining and my family are happy and there's a bit of, a bit of money in the bank and, you know, things are going well. I can be a wonderful Christian then. The real test, and it says here that the Lord brought them to the waters of Marah to test them, is when things go badly, when things are being difficult. So here's a little tip. You can... Think about it, pray about it. Whatever you think about my understanding of waters of Mara, it's quite frankly irrelevant. But there is a sense in which whatever the Lord has in store for you and for us in this coming year, take it on, trusting that He knows what He's doing. Make the best of it. Try not to make too heavy a weather of it. Try and be positive, grateful. It'll be good for you. And that's what it proved to be for these people. Something else I want to, to draw out of this little talk. Next screen. Thank you. It says here, if you, Moses said to them, the Lord says to you, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the de- diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Do you know, I truly believe 
that the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it is situated, is meant to be like a stream in the desert. And if that's true of the church, and the church is essentially people, that has to be true of the people of God. You know, there's got to be... I truly believe that God desires to bless you in order to bless the nations. That's one of the reasons why, personally, I'm struggling so much about what's happening in the Middle East at the moment. That in Israel, God's own people is is just lambing into these, these, these folk in Gaza... I don't, you know, I don't want to offend you politically. That's my personal view. But it, it, it is a, it's just, there's something not right there. Something not right. You see, God wants to bless his people, not just so that they prosper, but that we may be a blessing. We may be a stream in the desert. And in order to avail ourselves of that, in order to position ourselves in this place where God might bless us, he... He says here there are a number of things we should do. Now, I've, I've done, I was going to do the main bit of my teaching on the next three points, but I'm going to rush through them because, in fact, there was just, literally as I got up this morning, there was just one verse that seemed to sum up what I really felt I wanted to say. But let me just go through the three points I had that I wanted to draw out of this. First of all, look. Look into God's Word. Look out for God's promptings. As you go through this year... You know, wherever you are in reading God's Word, maybe you are already something of a, a scholar, something, something, maybe you love this, this book we call the Bible, maybe you delight getting into it, maybe you just dip into it, stick a pin in it, something like that. Listen, please, please resolve this year, you know, to get some Bible study notes and be a bit more systematic. Some of you may want to do the Vineyard Bible Institute material, which, which uh, is uh, excellent, some of our people are doing, some of our staff are doing it. You know, get into God's Word. Look into God's Word. It will do you good. Oh, but it's so boring, Chris. I fall asleep. Listen, it will do you good. But all, what about all that begetting and begetting and begotting? And it will do you good. It will do you good. Keep looking into God's Word. Learn from it. What I mean by that is reflect upon it. Don't just say, oh, I've got to read three chapters a day, otherwise my Bible reading study note thing goes to pot. Listen, interact with it. Ask questions of God. Ask questions of the text. Interact it, it with it. Try and you know, tease it. Ask questions of it. If you don't understand something, don't go, oh, I don't know what that means. You know, find out what it means. You know, With internet access these days... Let alone preachers and pastors who will bore you to tears with words. You know, there is really no excuse for ignorance. We can all be we can all find out. So if something puzzles you, go on a little little journey with it. Find out where you get through. You may find yourself discovering that Mara means bitter, and it may be that there's magnesium in the water. Who knows? And the third thing, live it. We've preached this two or three times. You know, this Christianity, your faith, is not supposed to be a private thing. It is not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be public. It's supposed to be that thing so that people can see your life and they can read you like they read a book. 
And they'll pick you up on the inconsistencies and you'll feel embarrassed and you'll feel confounded. But that's all part of the deal. Because at the end of the day, you can say, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know someone who does. When people see you wrestling with faith in the face of redundancy, in the face of personal tragedy, in the face of challenge with health or whatever, as they see the way your faith is so real and so part of you, it becomes a profound witness to them. Look, learn, and live. I was going to spend more on that, but actually I just want to, if if you don't like any of that, just take this one little verse away with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This is a challenge and this is difficult, but there is such a profound truth in the midst of all this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You may not be able to give thanks for the current circumstances you find yourself in for. If it's just too intense, too difficult, too desperate, discipline yourself to give thanks for God's faithfulness in the past. It will do you good. It sets you up with a particular disposition. It will set you up as you tackle life. And Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, you will have difficulty. So you're going to groan and moan and grumble like the children of Israel at the Marah did? Or are you going to say, God, we don't understand this. I want to be utterly real here. This is a killer. I hate this moment. But Lord God, I thank you because I know you love me. I know you love my family. I know that you are faithful. And I choose. It's a choice, folks. I choose to walk through this in an attitude of gratitude and hope. It's a choice. You can be like the toddler in the supermarket I saw the other week who was having a tantrum to end all tantrums. She, she was just bad-tempered. We've all seen it. My kids have done it. Your kids have done it too. They just get on the wrong side of something and they just go berserk. And this poor mother, it was actually a father rather, with the weariest world-weary look you can imagine on his face, took her by the hand and literally had to drag her out the door like this. Now she could have walked out the door. She could have walked out the door, disappointed that she didn't get the sweetie or the dolly or the whatever it was, but she chose to just go crazy. It's one thing in children, but in adults it's not classy, folks. (laughs) It ain't classy. And Christians, we will know trouble and difficulty. Let's try and be a little classy. Got it? Thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. To be honest with you, it may be the best thing I say this morning. Take it with you. But that's not the end of this story. And, and in fact, the last verse is, 
is almost as intriguing to me as the rest. Because there's a promise at the end of this. Thank you, Matt. It says this, Exodus 15, 26. The Lord says, I will not bring you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Do you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not giving you a blank check here. And I pray to God I'm not giving you false hope because there's enough real hope to be, to be fixed on. But I, I have seen in the 30 years I've been a Christian, Christians doing well in the face of recession. Even when sometimes they lose their job. And yeah, Christians lose their jobs too. I've seen Christians doing well. And I've seen two recessions. This being the third. There is something extraordinary. As you look at the bigger picture in the way God prospers his people. And we have a reason for hope. Not just in the life to come, but in this life. That God will look out for us. Jesus said, he said, listen, you know, don't be anxious about what you eat and what you're going to wear. Your father knows you need these things. Heavens above, he takes care of the sparrows. He, clo- he, he, clo- he clothes the flowers of the field with great beauty. How much more is he going to take care of you? How much more is he going to take care of you? I am the Lord your God who heals you. Uh, that can get very specific. Last week, I was here and a lovely Sri Lankan couple came up to me and gave me this, this pot of spicy Sri Lankan cashew corporation cashew nuts. I said, oh, thank you. And they actually were visiting one of our members here. I don't know whether you're here this morning. I, I can't see you, but you may be here. But uh, in June... This, old, this older couple, he was called Robin, came to visit their, their daughter, who's a member of this congregation. And um, the wife, the mother, had angina. And uh, she got prayer. And God miraculously healed her of angina. And they came to me last week with this little gift saying, to be honest with you, we, we didn't, it's such a long-term thing, I didn't expect God to heal me. But he healed me. I am absolutely clear of any angina. Uh, I mean, that, that was wonderful. Let's give God a little clap for that. Nine months ago, we, we were preach- I was preaching and invited young couples to come forward who were, who were struggling with, with conceiving. Now, I'm not going to mention names or tell the whole stories because this, I want them to do it, but... I got a phone call on Christmas Eve, and one of these couples had been delivered of a lovely little yellow... Uh, yellow? <laughs> a yellow? Where's that come from? A lovely little girl. And the other couple we prayed for... Um, they're not here this morning, but she's due now. She's out here. She looks like a, a space hopper on legs. I mean that with affection, ladies. Don't, don't kill me. 
What a wonderful thing to be going into the new year. Answered prayer. I am the Lord who heals you. These two young couples, they were weeping. They were in a terrible state. They could not conceive. We prayed for them. Six weeks later, they were both pregnant. One's been delivered. And I fully expect come next week to be able to say, it's two, folks. It's two. Another little story of I am the Lord who heals you. In fact, what what am I doing telling it? Lucy, come on up. You can tell this story. Just welcome. This is, this is Lucy. Welcome, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, do you just want to tell your, your story? Okay. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You're so nice. Um, I'm 22 years old, and uh, when I was 11, I got a virus that turned into ME, which in its full name is myalgic encephalomyelitis for those of you that don't know. Um, Not a lot of people have heard of ME or know exactly what it is, so I wrote down some of the symptoms that I had while I had ME. And I didn't have all of these all at once, but I had all of them, and it kind of kept changing. Um, I had chronic tiredness, where it's kind of... When you're really ill with a cold or a flu or something, and you're just so achingly tired you can't get out of bed, it's kind of like that, but all the time. And uh, when I was starting to get a little bit better, I had had ups and downs throughout the years, but um, I discovered that people can have colds and still get out of bed in the morning and go to work. And this was a whole brand new thing to me, that people could actually have a cold and get out of bed. I couldn't do this at all for about eight or nine years. Um, I had chronic tiredness. I had nausea constantly. I I was felt sick for five years, two of which was constant, like, 24-7. The rest of the time was on and off, mainly at night, most of the day. But this was constant nausea, which led to quite a lot of eating problems, um, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, um, sensitivity to noise, sensitivity to smells, to being touched, to having people near me, being around too many people, um, irritability, aching muscles, joints, stiffness, abdominal pain, back pain, confusion, brain fog, which is when you just can't think of anything. It's like your head's full of cotton wool or something. Uh, memory loss. Um, sometimes when I was really bad, I couldn't speak, just physically couldn't say anything. Um, I just, just all of this, and, and this is just me. Most people with ME have lots of other things as well, but this went on for 11 years. Um, My entire teenage life, beginning of my adult life, I had ME and my life was being robbed. And um, every three months it would all change again. My symptoms would change, my sleeping pattern would change. It it was just awful and, and I just felt completely different from everyone that was around me. I felt misunderstood uh, by my own family. It, it was horrible. Um... But I learned a lot about God, and I learned a lot about healing, and a lot about what God thinks healing is, not what we think healing is. And there are a lot of, people think that there are a lot of sort of um, formulas to being healed, and I actually kind of thought this too. And then um, in October, on a random Tuesday, I I was really ill, and when I graduated from university, which I managed to get to, thank you God, um, I just got really, really ill straight afterwards and I couldn't do anything and I was in a wheelchair and and I couldn't walk properly um, and I couldn't get a job and I couldn't really do anything. So I thought, well, I'm fed up of this. My parents are at work all day. I'm on my own. I'm going to go to my fiancé's house and stay with him for a week because at least then someone will be around and in the evenings I can see him. 
and I was there, and um, his dad said, oh, uh, Dennis from the church is coming round, which was uh, quite interesting in itself. Um, and Dennis came out, and I'm sat there of a Tuesday evening in front of the television, going through wedding magazines, and Dennis comes in. Hello! Wow, lovely to meet you! <laughs> yeah, that's our Dennis. <laughs> and, and just sort of saying, like, what are you doing here? You know, it's a Tuesday. What are you doing in St Albans when you don't live here? And I said, oh, I've got Emmy. Oh, OK, that's not very nice, you know. How long have you had it for? 11 years. What? <laughs> And he prayed for me. And I was healed. After 11 years, I was healed from having ME. And this was just... It took me five days to get over the shock because I had expected to come to church, to go to a healing meeting or something, for people to say, you know, if you want to come up for prayer, come up for prayer, you know, you'll be prayed for and God may do something. And I'd done that countless times. So when Dennis said, oh, well, we'll pray for you, his attitude of completely, you know, you cannot get married and have Emmy. It just, it's not going to happen. God will heal you. And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm. Well, that's very, all very well and nice, but you know, don't really expect anything to happen. And it did, and it, it was the shock of being in, you know, someone's house, just not even thinking about it, and it happened. And um, I mean, all I wanted to do was cry, and nothing really changed for five days. And then I just suddenly thought, you know what? This is stupid. God has finally done what I have been begging Him to do for eleven years. I'm going to embrace this, and I did. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Bless you. Thank you for that. Wonderful. You see, this Christianity thing is not just a social club. There is this wonderful God whom we serve. This God who is Emmanuel. God with us. There is this supernatural dynamic. This more than element. You know, we're going to approach this year with as generous and as grateful and as, 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 a, as positive a disposition as we can. But I thank God that we have a God in heaven who welcomes us home. And he is the God, ultimately, who is going to heal us. We're going to continue this next week. But let's stand now. Let's have the band up. We'll we'll finish off. Let me just pray. Father God, we want to say thank you to you again for all that you have given us in this past year. Yes, as we've said many a time before, it's your faithfulness in the past that gives us hope and faith for the future. And we pray, Lord God, that we would fulfill our full potential as an outstanding local church that we might become a stream in the desert, a well in a dry place, a place of resource, a place of refreshment, a place of hope, a place where a supernatural God, a supernatural God is pleased to dwell. So please, Lord God, whatever you set before us in this coming year, Lord God, Give us the grace to be classy. Give us the grace, Lord God, to drink that cup.
because ultimately we know it'll be good for us. And everyone said, Amen.